whether you're tattooed from head to toe To the person's a hairstyle you like to show Scars on your wrists, killers on your hips Boys loving boys, freaks loving geeks They'll dye your hair, they'll dare that girl Haters gonna hate Hello, I'm Eden Law and you're listening to the Afterjet Podcast where we hear from the JET alumni community, their stories, lives, and careers, and also from non-JETs who were involved with the JET program, like my guest today, Andrea Jacques, who participated in after-JET conferences as a careers coach. We talk about work-life balance, handling stress, and figuring out what a fulfilling job, and therefore life, actually means for you. And I am the founder of Kyosei Consulting. So for those of you who have been in Japan, I guess you might know that Kyosei means, well, it literally means symbiosis, but the translation of the word has become more popular to translate it as living and working together for the common good. And so my passion with Kyosei and my business is in working with individuals and organizations to create a world where everyone wins. So what does that mean? A couple of sides to my business. One is to create great places to work um, and working with leaders uh, and entrepreneurs to build businesses that are not only successful, uh, but that are socially responsible and that, um, you know, really help people to live into their potential and Mm -hmm. bring them alive rather than making them feel like the walking dead. (laughs) And the other side of the business is doing, um, you know, coaching and training uh, and support on the personal side to help people, you know, find what do they want to do with their lives? What's their purpose? Um, And to also deal with issues of life-work balance using a framework that I call the life-work integrity model. Just to be clear, you you weren't yourself uh, a participant on the JET program. No, I wasn't a participant in the JET program, but I actually was a speaker at many of the JET events Mm. over the period of five years that I was there. So I did a lot of training and workshops for JET participants. I spoke at the annual Renewers Conference several times um, on the topic of, you know, career change and transition mm-hmm. um, as well on the topic of you know finding your finding passion at work and and inspiring passion in the workplace which was interesting I remember speaking at the renewers conference and I believe I was speaking to I'm not sure if it was the CIRs or it was the um, more of the sort of the ALTs the, the teachers the ALTs. yeah yep. um, and I remember that was one of the first times that I heard this comment because I was talking to them and I and I had people, two different people come up to me at the end of this and I've seen this since with my work but this was you know mm-hmm. gosh 16 18 years ago no maybe a little more than that even because it was early on when I had gone to Japan in around 90 1994 mm-hmm. and so I had two people come up to me after the end of this presentation on inspiring passion in the workplace i believe was the title right and one of them was more in a manager role and one of them was a teacher Mm -hmm. and the teacher came up to me and said you know i love what you said about you know bringing our passions to work and you know doing talking about our values and these kinds of things but you know what i just don't think my manager would be open to that 
And then the manager, or I don't know if it was that person's manager, but one of the people in more of a supervisory role came up to me and said, you know, I really love what you're talking about and I want to do more of that, but it might be, you know what, I just don't think the teachers really care that much. I just don't think they would be that into it. And so it was kind of funny because that's a theme that I heard for many years. Now it's changing. I mean, mm. this whole concept of employee engagement and finding, doing and finding work that's you're passionate about and purpose-driven organizations and businesses mm-hmm. is much more popular. But back then it was kind of this dirty secret that, you know, well, I'd like this, but nobody else really wants it. And it's too touchy-feely and we're not supposed to talk about it. Um, so, yeah, so I spoke at conferences. I did a lot of uh, workshops on find your purpose, find your passion for many ALTs mm-hmm. all over Japan. And I also did some work with the CIRs on coaching, training right. them, uh, giving them some coaching skills to work with the people that they were supporting there as well. Well, what were the sort of common questions that they asked you about uh, what that you got in your workshops and the people who came up to you to talk about, uh, apart from the inspiring passion in the workplace? Yeah, well, so I think when people are searching for what to do after JET, um, you know, certainly it does depend on what kind of experience they've had before, you mm-hmm. know, if they've just come straight out of university. And, you know, for some people, it was maybe, you know, they knew what they wanted to do, but they thought they would come and just do this as kind of a fun year or two off. And, mm. you know, maybe they're heading back home after a year or two off. Um, you know, that's a different situation, I think, than somebody who you know, came because they didn't really know what they wanted to do. They came, they've been there five years and they don't necessarily, you know, they're not super keen to go home maybe, (laughs) Um, but they kind of, you know, it feels time. There's that five year mark I found and and I made it about five years. And and, um, one of the stories in my book Mm -hmm. uh, talks about this wabi-sabi wisdom, inspiration for an authentic life is the title of the book. And one of the, chapters is called how do you know when it's time to go Mm. um and so it's about a little bit of my story about you know the five-year mark and kind of really feeling like is it time to go but having this really tempting offer to stay and and how i navigated that and so i think it's very hard to navigate that transition when you don't know what you're going to. For me leaving, I really knew what I was coming back for. You know, I was coming back to start what I call my grown-up business. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I knew I wanted to be in Vancouver. And so I was very clear what I was coming to and why I was coming here and why it was time for me to leave Japan and all of those kinds of things. But I think, uh, you know, for some people it's, they don't know what they're going to. They just know what they can't take anymore. <laughs> you get to that point where you're just, uh, you know, you've had enough of some things Japanese. Mm. Um, and so it's more of a reaction. So that's, I guess, one piece aside from the the self-discovery, um, you know, piece of it, of figuring out what you do want. It's just being conscious of, you know, those motivations for leaving and, you know, leaving to get away from something or leaving because you just, you know, that stress, even if your experience has been good um, in Japan, there's just a certain level of stress that comes from not being able to be naturally who you are every day and dealing with a different culture. So, but if you're reacting by 
you know, to running away from it without having something to go to. The re-entry experience, I think, is much more difficult. About talking about what to know at the end of, let's say, five years in Japan, how to figure out, essentially, how to figure out what to do. Yeah. Well, there's actually two part, two sort of ways to approach answering that question. So one is, let's call it the well, for lack of a better word, I'll call it the old-fashioned way, because I started in the field of career development close to three decades ago now, career coaching and um, re-employment coaching and that kind of thing. And so back then, I was running the university, I was working in the University of Alberta Career Placement Center and running the Resource Center and I did training with the volunteers and all of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so back then... What we, when we were helping people to decide, basically, we didn't really talk about what do you want to do with your life. We talked about <laughs> what kind of job are you going to get, and we talked about transferable skills, mm-hmm. um, you know, and mm-hmm. your education and your experience and that kind of thing. So, you know, it was more about skills and knowledge and a teeny, teeny, tiny bit about values we talked about, um, but there was no we didn't talk at all about purpose and, you know, not much about values and, and certainly not about authenticity or passion. You know, it was, it was much more transactional. You know, I think many times like what the kind of stuff in terms of what do we want to do next? I know there certainly when I was there, there was a focus in like some of the after jet uh, support on, well, what are the transferable skills? Like, mm. what did you learn how to do when you were a teacher? You know, you learn communication skills and you learn creative thinking and you learn, you know, so how can you take the skills of teaching English, transfer those to many other jobs, which you can't. And, you know, how do you write a resume to communicate, you know, really the, the skills and competencies that you now have mm. as a result of living there? Um and so that's one way to do it and just go out and apply for any job that tickles your fancy and try to write a resume and a covering letter that fits. And that's doable. I mean, I've written thousands of resumes for people that capitalize on their transferable skills. And there are many. I mean, I could talk forever on all, all the kinds of different transferable skills and, and what people really learn and the value of mm. that experience of, of living and working in Japan. But Probably the deeper and more, where you're going to get a more um, lasting answer, sustainable answer to this idea of what should I do with my life. Mm. And by the way, I had people ask me that all the time because, of course, <laughs> I was in career development before I went there, and then people would find out what I want to do and mm. what I did, and, and they would go, oh my gosh, help me, what should I do with my life? And so for me, that's kind of was the birth of where my business is now mm. is because um, prior, one of the reasons I left Canada prior to going to Japan was because the kind, the way that I was doing career development coaching, it just felt like something was missing. This whole focus on skills and knowledge and you know, writing cover letters, and it felt like, you know, keeping people in what I call the resume rut, keeping them stuck in the past. It's like what you have done dictates your future. Felt like that wasn't at all what I how I, my career, my very short career, I was only in my 20s, had mm-hmm. gone up until that point. And I, I looked at people that I knew and had heard of that were successful and fulfilled. And I could see that, you know, that wasn't necessarily, they weren't 
you know, resume building or career building. They were doing something different. After like six months or so in Japan and having this question asked of me so many times, and quite frankly, I wasn't loving teaching English, but I thought, you know what? Now's the opportunity. I'm going to develop my own thing. I know there's something more, but I didn't know what it was. And so I started researching what was it that these successful and fulfilled people had done and how had they found um, their paths. And that's where I came up with, back then I called it the Life Path Workshop. And so I developed that and I started teaching it in Japan. And that's what a lot of, um, you know, ALTs back then mm -hmm. um, went through. Some of whom are still clients. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so that's where I developed this this other approach, um, you know, which I think people are now more familiar with. But back then, like I said, nobody talked about it. So the more important questions are, you know, what are you passionate about? What kind of life do you want to build for yourself? Doing some deeper work on values compared to, you know, what was done back then. Like really, you know, I talk about four core passions that you need to know to really understand um, not only what you want to do with your life in terms of work, mm -hmm. but to create this thing that I call life work integrity, which is a state of alignment between who you are and what you do in all areas of your life. Mm. not just your work. So you need to know these four passions. Your passion for being, which is about your values and your principles and who you want to be and what you stand for. Your passion for doing and knowing, which is about your strengths and your talents and the things that you love doing and learning about that energize you, that fill your tank so that when you go to work, it's not something that sucks the life out of you. Your passion for giving, which is about your purpose and understanding the kind of contribution that you want to make and how you want to have an impact on the world and how you do have an impact on the world just by being who you are. And the fourth one is your passion for achieving or creating, which is about a concrete legacy that you want to leave. That's something that you want to achieve um, in the world. I think one of the things like uh, the barrier perhaps to making change is often the fear of change and the fear of failure. If so, absolutely, like, absolutely, yeah. it's huge. And there, are, you know, there are different fears for everybody. I mean, you know, everybody has different dials. You know, there's the not good enough fear. There's mm. the needing, you know, fear of not doing it perfect. The fear of, you know, for some people, you know, they don't even start on this journey of figuring out what they really want to do because at some level they have these core beliefs that they're not going to be able to do it anyway or they're not going to be able to make money doing it or exactly. guys can't do that or girls can't do that or people won't like me or blah 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 blah, blah right like there's mm. so many different fears well and you know what it's even just the capacity to dream i mean we can talk about fear and certainly that stops people when I was in Japan, so I actually did a few of these kinds of trainings in terms of, you know, finding your life path and your passion and your purpose with Japanese audiences. Now, my Japanese is nowhere near good enough to do that in Japanese. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a translator um, who was working on it with me. But when I was working with some of these Japanese people to come up with, like, you know, what would be a big dream for you, a vision of your life? And... You know, it was really interesting to me that it was a challenge for a lot of them to come up with a big dream. Like one woman said, I would love to have homes, foreign homestay students. That would be a big dream for me. 
And, you know, and she just, for her, that was really hard to conceptualize how she could, how that could be possible, how she could make that happen. And that would make her life so much better. And you said you came to Japan originally to teach English. Is that right? Well, yeah, I kind of came to Japan kind of as part of a very young midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, the work that I was doing in Canada before I went to Japan, as I said, I just, you know, I felt like somehow something was missing and that, you know, I really, the work that I was doing primarily with my business at that point was working with um, the Workers' Compensation Board and the government to get people back to work who'd either been injured or who were unemployed. Mm -hmm. And so I, of course, had a mandate to get people back to work in a certain amount of time. Um, and I, after a certain period of time, I really felt torn I, and couldn't, be in integrity with the real human being in front of me who, you know, wanted to make some positive changes in their life um, and their career. So, you know, that stress just began to wear on me. I also was going through uh, a period, well, I was actually engaged to be married and I was doing a lot of soul searching around, you know, whether I really wanted to do this. Mm. Um, and, and also I had always wanted, a dream of mine had been to travel to backpack mm. around Asia. Mm. And so all of these things kind of came together at once, and I called out the wedding three months before and decided to just put everything in storage and shut down my business and head off to Japan to meet a friend of mine who was on the JET program at that time mm. uh, down in Beppu mm. and go backpacking around Asia. So we backpacked around Asia for six months. Mm. And then after that, I wasn't really ready to go home. And so I knew about, of course, teaching English in Japan from my friend. Um, and also because when I had worked at the university place, career placement office at the University of Alberta, I had worked with a lot of the employers who were recruiting. Mm. Um, and they would come and look for students to come teach. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go rest. I'm tired of you know, traveling around so much, but I don't want to go home. So I'm going to go to Japan. Yep. And so I went there with the plan to just be there for six months, landed in Osaka, ended up in a little tiny daijin house in <laughs> Kyoto. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and I ended up there three years. So I spent three years in Kyoto. Mm -hmm. um, and then I spent two years in Tokyo. I moved up to Tokyo. Mm. Um, and is and that, so, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Is that, is that, and did you start your coaching, life coaching career uh, while you were in Japan? I did, yes. Wow, so... Well, I was doing the career coaching, um, you know, when I was in Canada. I mean, that was my business. Mm. And I was also doing, uh, started doing what back then we called it job satisfaction workshops or training. Mm -hmm. um, now the more popular term is employee engagement mm -hmm. training. Um, so I was doing that before I left Japan, and then while I was in Japan, as I said, I thought, you know what, I, I'm going to develop my own system here, something different from what was the norm back then. And so, yeah, so I started up while I was still, you know, teaching English by night kind of thing. Um, I had all day free, and you know, <laughs> after a while, I was like, well... <laughs> seen lots of temples and uh, you know, I'm not that passionate about learning Japanese. <laughs> How did that all get started with um, setting up your first, I, I guess, workshop? And well, so my first workshops were with foreigners, right? Um, yeah, English speakers. Yeah. Um, and so my first workshop actually got set up um, with so a friend of mine who was. Uh, 
she did Swedish Swedish massage, and <laughs> so I was I was studying sweet. I studied massage. I actually while I was I was going through a little bit of a like, what do I really want to do with my life when <laughs> I was in Japan? And so so <laughs> I explored you know massage. I studied Swedish massage. I studied shiatsu massage. Um, I you know got involved in different musical groups. I uh, took up cycle touring and did a lot of cycle touring. I mm. took courses on learning how to read past lives. <laughs> and I, I study. I, I was actually at one point I was on a Ikebana mm-hmm. uh, visa, student visa. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing all my own workshops and stuff like that, but my official visa was an Ikebana student um, <laughs> visa, and uh, you know, studying Ikebana twenty hours a week, and and just really thinking, what do I? I mean, at one point, I went to Sadogashima mm-hmm. uh, for the the Kodo Earth Celebration. I don't know if you're familiar with that, the Kodo Taiko yeah. drum. Yes, 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 yeah. Um, so I went there, and, and I mean, that weekend, I was all about, I am going to, you know, join the Kodo <laughs> drumming group, live in the commune, and tour the world playing taiko drums. So oh, wow. I tried on lots of different things. <laughs> um, Fantastic. And then I came back to, you know, just, I kept getting called back to this idea of helping people, you know, figure out what they want to do with their lives. Mm. You know, because people were asking me about it, and and I just kept feeling drawn to it. And I guess also simultaneously, I was I was actually studying um, sustainable business and economic development through the International University in Kyoto, mm. and I also was really becoming aware that this whole idea of of figuring out your purpose and aligning with your purpose really, in my opinion, was the core to. Um, not only business sustainability, mm-hmm. um, but personal sustainability. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so this, it, it, I just became more and more passionate about it. And so when, so when I was having this massage with um, my Swedish massage friend, and I don't know, we got talking about this topic. And, and I said, you know, I really want to create a workshop on this and do it, you know, research it and do it put in the pieces that I think are missing. Mm-hmm. And she said, great, when do you think, you know, when do you think you could do it? And I said, um, I don't know, it would probably take me about three months. She says, awesome, okay, well, let's look at the calendar. <laughs> so she wasn't even a coach, but she actually was <laughs> coaching me without even knowing it. So I just kind of, you know, in my days, post-massage days, uh, I kind of said, pick to date. And she says, awesome, well, bring me your poster when you come next week for your <laughs> and I'll put it up. So she just basically um, forced you to stick to a particular uh, timeline. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. And I mean, you have to understand, right, this was 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is like low tech, right? I mean, I still wrote letters to people back home because most of them didn't have email accounts. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, you know, so we made, I think, well, I can't remember what program I used, maybe in Word, I made a poster somehow, <laughs> um, you know, and so we put up paper posters around Kyoto in the various little places that mm-hmm. all the gaijin hang out. Mm-hmm. And so three months later, I was, gosh, I have pictures of it somewhere, but I, I remember it was a little room with tatami mats and mm-hmm. about 15 people there. 
uh, for the first Life Path workshop, which I think was only a day long, and it, uh, I had probably like three days worth of material in it. So eventually I ended up, my Life Path workshops became a whole weekend thing, like a Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. Right. Um, I realized that we needed more time to explore. So that was the first thing with the with the foreigners. And then, you know, I actually, to be honest, can't remember how the Japanese groups came about, but I think it was probably just, um, you know, through connections with right. people that I knew um, that said they wanted a Japanese language. Yourself, no matter why, no matter who's gonna hurt you, you gotta be Thought I might share my experience of attending the Afterjet conference back in March 2016. The careers coach is usually one of the most requested speaker roles and feedback by participants, and it's not hard to see why. I observed the effect of the speaker on many of the final year jet participants, on how they soaked up the words like a hungry dry sponge, with some being moved emotionally. Because, you know, living jet can be quite a scary experience, particularly if it's your first job and you have to figure out what to do next in your life. How do you make the leap from being an English teacher to whatever other career? And oftentimes you think, well, if I make a mistake with my decisions, is that going to be it? Am I going to be screwing up my future? Well, thank goodness you have this podcast, yeah? Anyway, we continue again with Andrea talking about facing fears and finding motivation. No matter what, no matter who's gonna hurt you, you gotta be yourself. No matter what, no matter who's gonna hurt you. Going on to your book. Yeah, Wabi Sabi Wisdom. Wabi Sabi Wisdom. Inspiration for an authentic life. <laughs> uh, so what? Uh, why now? Why did you decide to write the book? Uh, I don't know if you've written any other books, but uh, what led I haven't. to? I have. Well, I have several in progress, but this is the first one that actually has been published out in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? I mean, talking about fear, really, totally honest. This book is for me. This is the epitome of facing my fear of putting something out. Mm-hmm. And allowing it to just be being okay with it being good enough, not perfect. Right. And so Wabi Sabi, as I'm sure you know, is about you know the beauty in imperfection. Yes. Right. Yeah. The beauty in imperfection. And so when I was, I actually in January, January fifth, I was we were out for dinner with a, a friend, a couple of friends for my husband's birthday, and uh, she was talking about how she was writing her a book on you know, her life and experiences. And she mentioned to me that, yeah, all my friends, different people have said, oh, I'll help you. I'll, I'll edit your book for you. Mm-hmm. And she had turned them down. And I said, well, why? And she said, because it's my experience. It's my words. It's my grammar mistakes. You know, mm-hmm. this is who I am. This is how I talk. And I'm good with it being how it is. Mm-hmm. And I kind of went, oh, man. <laughs> her name's Gloria. You know, Lorianne, you know, like she's such a doer, right? Mm-hmm. I said, you know, I really have to finish one of my books. And she said, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> and so in a way, you know what, it's funny. I think about it now as I'm talking to you. that it's not that dissimilar from when I did my first workshop. Yeah. yeah. And so she said, how long did it take you? And I said, you know what, I bet you I could finish one by the end of the month. And she's like, all right, do it. <laughs> and, and so the funny thing is, though, 
that of the six books that I have in progress, Wabi Sabi Wisdom was not one of them. And so I had two books that I thought, okay, I think these ones are the closest to being done. So one was called the seven, one is called the seven sins of a startup mm-hmm. and one is called crafting your spirit. So I sent the drafts of those off to two friends. And uh, so this was January 6th mm-hmm. and I said, okay, I've got this, you know, dare on with my friend, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That I got to finish a book by the end of, of January. And so, um, you know, can you look at these books? I need your feedback back in by the end of, by Friday, right? Mm-hmm. I think this was on a Monday or a Sunday. And, you know, just whatever you can offer is great because I just need some feedback and then I'm going to go edit them, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, so then I'm thinking, geez, okay, well, I can't sit around for five days. So I'm thinking about other things. And then they kind of remembered that, oh, you know, I always kind of had this idea because I've been writing for Tokyo Families Magazine for eight years or something like that, seven mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every and every time I write for Tokyo Families Magazine, of course, it has, you know, I try to work in a little bit of Japanese, you know, mm-hmm. link or content or whatever, but it's mostly about living a good life. And so anyway, so I kind of thought, you know, I always had this idea that it'd be fun to do something that had, you know, a kanji and, you know, a Japanese word as the theme for a chapter and, you know, kind of work that into a little book. So I went and I looked, compiled all my articles that I'd written and looked at them, started reading them. And I went, huh, you know, these are pretty good. They're mm-hmm. not perfect, but they're pretty good. And yeah. then, so I thought, Wabi Sabi. So the title just popped in my head, Wabi Sabi Wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I just knew this is it. This is the book. I'm going to do it. And I could visualize what I wanted the chapters to look like. And um, and so, yeah, I pulled them together into my program that I use for writing books called Scrivener mm-hmm. and realized, oh, my gosh, I, thought, I actually have it. 90,000 words. So mm. I actually separated out all the ones that were more business and leadership oriented. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm working on a follow up book to Wabi Sabi Wisdom. Um, <laughs> and uh, Fantastic. So I put all the personal ones on living an authentic life mm-hmm. together. And so, really, the book, so when I published, I think we had published for the ebook on January 26th, I think mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. So 21 days, basically. Right. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty good. And then we pub- the print version is available on Amazon now. Um, that took us another couple of months because of the graphic design and yeah. all of that. So it really is an exercise in, in just saying, all right, enough of being scared to put yourself out. And it, there's still, I look at it and I'm like, oh, man. Congratulations. Missed that grammar mistake. <laughs> Congratulations. And that ending could have been better and whatever. But, you know, it was time to walk my talk and, you know, just, yeah. Well, I, I don't know if we've we've covered this, but uh, I guess how did you face your fears? Uh, since you talked about the fact that publishing a book is one of you had to confront a fear, but how did you get over your fear? You know, that's a really tough one because one of my sayings that I always have said to my clients, and and you know, some days I do better living it than others, is mm. go in the direction of your greatest fear. Mm. Um, and so really, I mean, I've been really working on writing books and, and so, you know, writing books, I've, I've managed to, I can do that, but to actually publish a book, um, you know, just putting myself out there and, and, you know, 
mm. being at risk for people to not like it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And being at risk to look look at it and be embarrassed myself, right? Mm. To, to put it out there and then to look at it, you know, a year from now and be embarrassed about it. Um, so really, though, I just know that if something really scares me, which that did, mm-hmm. that the best approach kind of is to just rip off the Band-Aid and do it. Right, just right? do it. That's yeah, simple. just do yeah. it. Just set yourself really – I guess one of the ways that I've always gotten over my fears is I kind of set these crazy, unrealistic, aggressive deadlines for myself, but not – not unrealistic in the sense of like, okay, putting together my first workshop, for example, three mm-hmm. months. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was ambitious, mm-hmm. but I knew it was, I knew I could do it. I yeah. worked my butt off. I'm pretty sure I was up till, you know, all night the night before mm-hmm. um, the first workshop. And, and in fact, with a lot of the, the speaking I've done and the trainings I did, not so much now, but earlier on, um, I would always be last minuteing it. Um, because I just, you know, it was getting over that fear and, and together with the fact that I would kind of set these ambitious deadlines just to give myself a deadline so that I would be accountable to. So accountability is a big thing, I guess, in getting over fear. You know, I credit Mm. my friend, like when I made the declaration to her Mm -hmm. that I was going to do it, Mm. um, you know, that I was accountable. Right. Yeah. And I would have. Because she is such a doer, you know, I would have mm. felt really bad. <laughs> I, I guess that that segues nicely to my to the other question because uh, you mentioned twice now there was always someone who held you to your promise and mm. and obviously I mean that'd be great if uh, that that's a great external motivator but I I, I just think that maybe not everyone would have someone who, like, say, at the extreme case, everyone around you is a slacker, and you, by comparison, you would be the doer of your group. Mm-hmm. I mean, how would you actually, in other circumstances, be motivate, self-motivate? And I know that I'm a notorious procrastinator as well, and I do... Uh, well, I, th- I mean, at the risk of sounding a bit too self-promotional here, I mean, that's why coaching as a profession mm-hmm. um, is on the rise. Uh, because, and you know, there's all this, there's a, a, an abundance of, you know, online courses that you can take, Mm. um, to figure these things out, uh, and to make these transitions. But the reality is is that you still need to tap into your own motivation to take those courses. Mm. And some people can, but the scarier something is. Mm. Um, the more you need a structure to plug into. Now, that structure might be a support person like a coach. Mm -hmm. It might be, you know, enrolling in uh, a university program. Mm -hmm. It might be enrolling in a course where there is some sort of accountability mechanism where you're accountability of a buddy system. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, it might be, and it has to be, you know, (laughs) I mean, I have to be honest that my spouse and I making promises to each other that we do, are going to do things isn't all that effective. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, it's like, a, it's kind of like breaking promises to yourself, unfortunately. <laughs> Before the week is out, there'll be 20 promises broken. We can make exactly. promises, yeah. So, so I think that whole, and people feel bad. Here's, here's a, this is an important thing, I think, mm-hmm. for people to understand. People feel bad because they think, oh, I suck. I don't have the willpower like, to exactly. keep this yeah. promise that I've set to myself. But you know what? Nobody does. Anybody yeah. who's done anything amazing, it was because 
they had somebody there who mm-hmm. was either supporting them in some way, holding them accountable. I mean, yes, there are those few stories of people who were completely self-directed, um, you know, but that's not really the case. Like it's at some level is, you know, being accountable for a lot of my stuff that I've developed has been because, you know, well, I develop it each time, each time I mm. do a training, each time I speak at a conference, each time I work with a client, mm-hmm. you know, if I, if I'm working with a client and some new thing comes up and I go, Oh, I don't have a tool to deal with that. Or, Oh, gee, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not so sure I liked how I dealt with that. Uh, you know, and I make a promise to them that, you know, okay, next time we're going to do this. You know, if you're not so good at keeping the promises that you make to yourself, mm-hmm. make promises to somebody else. Right. Um, and, and then that'll probably, you know, has a better chance of making you do it. Now that said, some people make too many promises. And this is the other part of the reason why people don't overcome their fears mm-hmm. is because they allow themselves to get distracted. Right. So, yeah. you know, this was the, the only reason why I was able to, do the crazy thing of publishing a book in 21 days, writing and publishing a book in 21 days was um, that I really looked at myself and I thought, wow, I'm going to need to make some different choices here. The things that I have allowed to use up time that I would, you know, theoretically, if I really wanted to publish a book, Mm -hmm. I would need to use the time for that. So, you know, I definitely, my family ate a lot of pizza that month. (laughs) And I didn't work out very much. And my house got kind of (laughs) dirty. You know, and I didn't get as much sleep as I would like. So, Mm. you know, you do, but but I did it. And so sometimes in life it's like those, you know, like the ripping the mandate off, the doing the sprint mm-hmm. is a, you know, close your eyes and jump approach yeah. to dealing with fear. You know, yeah. the only, how do you get over fear? Well, you do it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm dealing with that with my son actually right now. He's got this thing that he's afraid about going down water slides. Oh. Uh, you know, <laughs> and he's, he's eight. Right. Well, this is all summer, so I guess he's had it for a few years. Anyway, so, you know, I was talking to him and just trying to explain to him that, you know, I under, he's afraid of, he'll fall down and hit his head for some reason. And, you know, so I was just explaining to him, like, all you need to do is do it once and you'll realize that it's probably not as hard as you think Mm -hmm. and it's not as scary as you think. And in fact, in the case of water slides, they're a lot of fun. What was I scared of? Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So he got over his fear. Not yet. Not yet? Oh, whoops. <laughs> Summer's over here, so now we're going to wait. We have a small window for water slides here. <laughs> There's um, a midterm. He'll, he'll get there. But you know what? And here, I guess here's another thing is that, you know, sometimes you also need to back off on yourself. And so that's mm. as being a parent. You know, we were saying, come on, come on, do it. We were trying to encourage him. Yeah. And, you know, it was creating a lot of stress in him. Mm. And so, you know, that, I guess, is the other part of it is to, you know, I think no regrets, right? Mm. Like, up until now, it wasn't the time. I wasn't ready. Yeah. You know, I, I can look back, you know, and say, even though I'm only not even a full year as an author now, um, and say, you know what? Wabi Sabi Wisdom was my perfect first book. Hmm. It was the, and I, you know, is it going to be a blockbuster bestseller? Well, 
who knows? I expect <laughs> maybe not, but um, you know, now I've got all these ideas for follow-up books for the Wabi-Sabi Wisdom series, mm-hmm. um, and I'm working on um, you know the other books that I mentioned, and one um, that is more about the Life Work Integrity program, um, coaching program, and so it's just kind of you know unleashed a flood, I guess, of creativity and yeah wanting to do other things but i couldn't i was put just in the same way that we kind of for like you know one day there we were kind of we really thought he was gonna make the leap and rip the bandaid off and go down the water slide yeah and you know we were kind of really encouraging him and kind of almost you know pushing him to do it and he just got more and more scared and so we just said you know what sweetie whenever you decide to do it Mm -hmm. you'll do it yeah. So you just wait till you decide. And so then I think it was the weekend after that, we actually went out to this lake that we always go to on the August long weekend. Mm-hmm. And we got there. It was a Thursday night and it was, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, we had to set up camp and all of that. And then he wanted to go to the beach and go swimming. And I said, oh, no, it's too late. And he said, no, mommy, I promised myself I would jump off the dock first day. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, okay, let's go to the dock. So we did, and he jumped off, and he swam from the dock to the raft, and, you know, pretty mm. deep water, and which would normally be something he was so scared of. And so so I just said, see, well done. you decide to do the water slide, you'll do it. And so I think, I think it's really about, part of it is just really deciding, mm. instead of saying I should, because the fear is present when you're, saying, you know, okay, I want to do this, I should do it, I have to do it, mm. I'm trying to motivate myself, mm-hmm. you can't motivate yourself, all you can do is make the decision. Yeah, and I think there's there's the pressure of uh, maybe the timeline, like for example, if you're thinking, oh, I'm getting to this age now, I really need to do it, and, and everyone else is doing it, but perhaps the better way is like, as you were saying, the message I'm getting is that when you're ready to do it, you will do it. And just don't think about, just don't think about doing it because you have to do it. I'm not really expressing myself properly, but it's, yeah. It's time. I guess it's like, you'll know. It's time. time. Exactly. It just happens easily. So, I mean, another kid example, and I apologize to people who don't have children out there, but body training. (laughs) With my son was another example where you know at two and a half or whatever it was you're supposed to start trying to potty train them or two I think. Mm-hmm. and you know of course we're overachievers so we're trying to you know <laughs> months, we're trying to potty train our kids mm-hmm. and you know grabbing him with smarties and all of this and it was just becoming kind of a fight and a struggle and so then we just kind of went what are we doing like essentially he's gonna figure this out right we don't need to pressure it and so we just totally backed off and said whatever we don't care Mm -hmm. and then you know one day we were at my dad's 70th birthday and his little cousins were there his cousin's about six months older than him sees his cousin go you know do a poop on the toilet and suddenly he's like that's cool i'm gonna do that (laughs) and he was probably dreaming like a day and a half like right instantly Yes. And so I think that's a real message for us in our lives to, you know, just really, um, you know, use that discernment to kind of say, you know, is this, I ask people to ask themselves, what's wanting to happen and what's not wanting to happen? Mm. Okay. okay. 
And so, you know, with finally publishing a book, I think it was just, I went, yeah, it's time. It's time, yeah. Do you have any last words or thoughts that you like to uh, impart to our listeners? Yeah, I don't know, it's hard to say anything without being sounding too corny. Like, <laughs> read my book, no. <laughs> yeah, read my book, Wabi Sabi Wisdom, Inspiration for an Authentic Life. Um, yeah, I don't know, you know what, go to my website. We're mm-hmm. actually, I, I will admit, I haven't been so great about, um, you know, doing that whole newsletter thing and all of that because... I, I, life, because life gets in the way. Yep. <laughs> because life gets in the way, and I'm busy doing all of my work with clients and stuff. But you can now actually sign up on QSACoaching.com mm-hmm. um, for a newsletter, and we've got some tools underway. And I'm going to be creating, um, you know, some some little insider tools for the Wabi Sabi Wisdom book, um, which you can also click on and purchase through the website. And, you know, so really what I'm dedicated to now is just providing some other tools to support people who want to follow this path of a purpose-driven life and purpose-driven work Mm -hmm. um, and conscious careers and, um, you know, just really living into their potential. Mm -hmm. Um, So visit kiosicoaching.com and and, um, give us your name there. And Probably it's not going to be too much stuff, maybe once a month. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, don't worry about getting all those emails from me every day. That's really not going to happen. But I'd love to, for people to come say hello. Mm -hmm. Um, That would be awesome. And I guess I just leave you with, you know, spend the time. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that people really don't do is they they put off the self-awareness piece. They put off taking the time to think about it and they stay Mm. busy Mm. um, with doing the things that are just crisis or fun or you know that kind of thing set aside a time in your week every week to just spend the time ideally every day you know write in a journal um, and spend the time and and really just start to be aware of you know what do i love Mm. what's wanting to happen what's not wanting to happen What's stealing my energy? What's giving me energy? Um, and and be just letting the awareness be there. And when the awareness is there, that's really 90% of change. Mm-hmm. You don't have to force yourself to act because when the awareness is there, the action just comes naturally mm. out of that. If the And sometimes the awareness needs to trickle through you. You know, for many years yeah. before the courage to act will come. But if you keep focusing on the awareness, the action will eventually come to create more. All right. Hope you found that useful or at least enjoyable. If you're looking to check out Andrew's book, Wabi Sabi Wisdom, you can check out the footnotes to this episode and also links to her website. Hope you're having a great 2017. A little late for the greeting, but it's how I roll. Until next time, speak soon. Be yourself, be yourself.